you have a Bible, go ahead and grab those um, and uh, turn with me uh, to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll make my way there as well. And then uh, hold your place there once you get to Ephesians chapter 6 and then flip over to Hebrews 12. Ephesians chapter 6 and then flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. We have been in this series for several weeks now and uh, I don't think we're coming to the conclusion of it yet. Um, So uh, basically, will you revive us again, Lord? And um, I, I firmly believe that the only hope for our nation right now in the shape that it sits is revival in the church. And if God's people will be revived and begin to take the mission of the gospel to a world that is lost and dying, we will begin maybe to see another great spiritual awakening take place in our country. Some people, though, believe that we're far too gone, we're, we're without hope. And I've said this before, I don't know if you realize this, but the first great spiritual awakening that ever came to our country came when our country was almost in, 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 probably in worse shape than, than it was in, uh, than we are in today. We had just come through one of the greatest uh, wars of, uh, of our country's history. We were bankrupt economically. We were bankrupt spiritually. There were so many things going on. I told you that the political rancor is that the evangelicals gathered together and said, if we elect Thomas Jefferson president, he is so much like the Antichrist that it will usher in the second coming of Jesus. I mean, our country was divided. It was all of these things. And God sent a great spiritual awakening. During the Civil War, when our country was divided and everybody was kind of turning on one another, God sent a great spiritual awakening. Revival started taking place in the camps of the Union Army and the Confederate Army, and revival began to break out in these camps. God sent another great spiritual awakening right before World War I at Wheaton College when we saw the great prayer uh, revival uh, there at Wheaton College and uh, God began to send another great spiritual awakening. So our country's not too far gone to have a spiritual awakening. But the question is, is will God's people be revived? Will God's people turn back to him? And will God's people begin to carry out the mission that he's given us? You say, well, I don't know about revivals that just spontaneously take place and that happen. Listen, not this coming week, but the following week, myself and a couple of my friends are going to a place called Burlington, North Carolina. Anybody heard about this taking place? This week is their 10th straight week of spiritual revival. They've seen over 600 come to know Christ. They started out in a church and they broke every attendance barrier that they could possibly break. And they said, what are we going to do? And all of these pastors came together in the town. And they went and they found a man who had a piece of land. And the Toyota dealership in this town donated this land. And they, they pulled their money together, got a big enough tent. And they have thousands meeting every night under this tent at 730 in Burlington, North Carolina. And over 600 have come to know Christ. And my prayer is that somehow I would just go there and a little bit of it would rub off on me and that I could bring a little bit of that spark and that fire back to our church and back to our city and that it would begin making its way to cross our nation so that our our nation would be revived, the church would be revived so that a spiritual awakening would take place. And um, some of us just think though that that we're kind of too far gone and and, uh, I just want to just kind of let you understand that, that God is doing something. 
And most of the times, God does his greatest work in times of trouble and difficulty and turmoil. God does some of his greatest work. Now, let me uh, walk you through a little bit of this series if you haven't been here and those of you that are coming in. We said that revival was simply this. It's a divinely initiated work and where God's people pray, they repent of their sin, and return to a holy, spirit-filled, obedient love relationship with God. That is revival. That, that is a true definition of revival. It, it's a divinely initiated work. In other words, we can't manufacture it. I don't care how good of a speakers we can get, how great of a band we can get. We will never manufacture it. It has to be God-given. And what we need to do is cry out and pray that God would send revival to us. We talked about the stages of revival. Here are the five stages of revival. Look at this first one. First of all, and this is kind of the pattern for our life as well, if you're a follower of Jesus. God's people depart from him. After a while of walking close to Jesus and walking close to the Lord, all of a sudden you begin to depart from him. Then God disciplines his children in order to bring them back into this loving relationship with him. Number three, God's people cry out for him. Finally, God's people repent or they perish. And then the last stage, God's people, if they repent, are revived. Which stage are you in? See, sometimes we don't know how far we've departed from him until we face God's judgment and God's discipline in our lives. But several weeks ago, many of you, as I was talking about God's discipline, God's judgment, and God's final judgment kind of been a little unclear. So let me just walk through these real quickly once again. God's discipline are for his children. They're not for the lost. So if someone who's lost says, well, God's just disciplined me. No, God's trying to get your attention to help you come to know Christ. God's discipline are for his children. And he uses it to correct us and to train us and to bring us back into a loving relationship with him. It's for our benefit. It's to make us holy. God disciplines those that he loves. God's judgment, though, can be poured out on his children. We saw this with Achan in the Old Testament where God judged his family, him and his entire family. We saw this with Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament in Acts chapter 5 where God judged him and his wife. And God's judgment is given for his people when his patience has ran out on their rebellion, God begins to judge them. Also, God can begin to judge people in order to make them as an example for the church to persuade others not to follow in their same sin. And then God's final judgment is reserved for those who have rejected Jesus. At the great white throne judgment, they will stand before God and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they will be cast into the lake of fire where they will spend an eternal conscious torment in the lake of fire for those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Those are the three ways that God uses in his judgment. But as we were talking about things, and I was talking with several people, here's the kind of the, the, the big question that comes up. How do I know when I'm facing God's discipline or I'm facing spiritual warfare? How do I know when it's Satan trying to attack me versus it's God trying to get my attention? I've thought the same things. I've struggled with those questions. 
How do I know that, that, that this is not just an act of Satan and that he is not trying to destroy everything that God's trying to do versus God disciplining me? How do I know those, the difference in those two? Well, look with me in Hebrews chapter 12 first. And I want you to first, as we have to understand the difference. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 5. I'm just going to read these and kind of go through and explain this as I read this. But I'm going to go very quickly because I preached on this a couple weeks ago. But I want us to be reminded of this. So if you're a note taker, just write down, understand the difference. What he says in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son whom he receives. Endure it as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. In other words, God doesn't discipline people who aren't his children. And I, and I made this comment, and I know you, you would like to do this, but we don't walk into Walmart and find other people's children and start disciplining them, right? Even though we would like to, because they're not ours. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, in other words, every follower of Jesus receives some type of discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, if you've never received God's discipline and you can't think of a time in your life where you received God's discipline, you're probably not saved. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? In other words, our, our earthly fathers disciplined us and we thought they were, it was okay for them to do that. So shouldn't we submit even more to God's discipline? Uh, look at what it says. For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weaken knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. Now, the difference between spiritual warfare is what we're going to spend the rest of our time on. I'm going to just spend preaching through spiritual warfare and promise you, I could spend six weeks in this one text alone in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. I could spend six weeks in it. So I'm going to try to give you the Reader's Digest version of it this morning, okay? And maybe come back later at another time and uh, walk you through this. The students and I, we've been going through this. So if you've been in youth, just kind of hold on. I might say a few of the same things. But this is so that we can understand the difference between spiritual warfare and God's discipline. Now, first thing that we need to understand when we understand the difference is specifically is, is that Spiritual warfare is always going to be to tear us or pull us or push us away from our relationship with God. God's discipline, however, is so that we can, we, we just read about it, it's for our benefit to share in His holiness. It's going to make us holy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to push us closer to God. It's going to help us grow even more in Christ versus push us away. So you have to ask yourself, when, you, when you're facing situations and you're facing things in your life, and you go, well, wait a minute, is this God's discipline or is this spiritual warfare? You have to ask yourself this question. Is it pushing me away from Christ or is it pulling me closer toward Him? 
Is what I'm getting ready to face, is it, is it something that God's using in my life in order to help me be more holy? Or is Satan using it uh, to try to push me away from him and to be more sinful? That's kind of the question we have to ask. Now, let me talk about spiritual warfare for just for the rest of our time so that you'll understand. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some principles on spiritual warfare. And then I'm going to come back and give you some questions to ask yourself when you're put through things so that you can discern the difference, okay? Another great thing that you can do when you're wondering in that situation is simply this. Ask the Lord for a greater discernment. We don't think of that. But it's one of the spiritual gifts is discernment. God, would you give me more discernment so that I can see this? Illuminate this to me. Help me to see what it is that I'm looking at. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, are you there? If you're there, say, I'm there. Good, all right. Look at what he says. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Now, let me just say something in this one verse, and I could probably spend a whole day on this. You will never stand in spiritual warfare in your own strength. Satan was... was uh, um, the highest of all the archangel. He was the guardian of God's glory. And until he fell from heaven and until he wanted to be God and he tried to overthrow things and God cast him out with a third uh, of the heavenly host who now are demons, what we see is, is that Satan is more powerful than you and I. Satan is, 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 is smarter than you and I. He is, he is more cunning than you and I. When we are in our strength, when we are not walking in God's strength. That's why Paul tells this Ephesian church, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. That's the first commandment he gives them in here. This is not a suggestion. This is not a, well, if you want to. This is an imperative statement in the text of do this. And the way that he says this is that it's in the present. Be strengthened in the Lord always. In other words, you always be strengthened in the Lord. Right now, be strengthened in the Lord. Don't ever walk this walk of life in your strength and think that you're going to overcome spiritual warfare. Go on with me. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. So here's the second point I want you to write down. is You have to understand the enemy if you're going to understand the difference between discipline and spiritual warfare. You have to understand the enemy. Now, we know that Satan, I told you a little bit about him, what the book of Ezekiel tells us. And what we see is also is that there's multiple passages. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Satan's job is to steal, kill, and destroy anything that God wants to do in your life. We also read in 1 Peter 5 that, that he is, he, he, we need to be sober and be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, roars to and fro and, and he roams to and fro like a roaring lion looking who he may devour. We also know Satan as he, he is the one who sows discord among the brethren. In other words, he likes to stir up dissension amongst church people. He likes to stir up dissension between the brothers and sisters so that they don't get along. This is all Satan's work because it pulls us further from Christ. Now, we have to understand him and look what he says. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. 
For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. There's an invisible realm that you and I aren't aware of sometimes, that where Satan and his demons are trying to attack us as children of God every single day, every time we turn around, they are trying to attack us, trying to destroy us, trying to get us off our game, trying to to make sure that we, we are pulled further from Christ and that we don't fulfill his mission we have to understand and and I told the students this and maybe this is a a good way for you to understand it we live life most of the times like we're on a playground you know just oh happy go lucky yeah you know and instead Paul is telling us that we should don't, don't video that by the way okay Paul tells us that we should live our life like we're on a battlefield If you've served any combat whatsoever, and I've talked with several guys, I've never done it, but I've talked with several guys, and you don't live life on the battlefield like you do on the playground. You don't just walk wherever you want to go, and you just don't do whatever you want to do. You are calculated in every step, every move you make. But so many of us, we just live life like we're on a playground instead of a battlefield, and Satan and his demons are ready to just pick us off. And take us down. Look what he says. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. You need to circle that in scripture. In the evil day. Because that is not just saying like, oh, well, you know, someday we're going to do this. That is saying there is a moment of opportunity, a specific moment that Satan and his demons use to attack you. I I, I said this um, with our students. It's usually a place, a person, or a passion. It's usually a place, a person, or a passion. It's a specific moment of opportunity where he will attack you. Where, where you look back and you go, how did I make that dumb decision? Because you were under spiritual warfare and you just didn't realize it. It pulls you further away from Christ rather than pushes you closer in what God's discipline does. So that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Notice in this whole text, and we're going to look at this, but notice that nothing ever says in this text that we retreat. There's not going to be any armor that goes on our back. Because when Satan comes and he tries to attack us, we don't have to flee. We don't have to just just pack up and run. We take our stand. We resist the devil, and he flees from us. And and so here's the idea here, is that here is how we are going to stand against Satan in spiritual warfare. And everything that you read in verse 14, it says, stand therefore. Now circle that word, stand. Because everything else after these verses in the original um, Greek points back to this word. In other words, if you're not putting on these things, you're not standing. If you're not doing these things, there's no way you're going to stand. How do we stand? Look back in verse 10. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. That's the imperative statement. And then everything is connected by this word stand in this text. 
So if you want to stand against the tactics of the devil, if you want to stand against his, his, his tactics, you are going to have to do these things. Is first of all, we have to understand the enemy. We said that. Now, here's the second thing. Understand his tactics. Well, what is his tactics, Zach? Well, let's, let's read. He says, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. The first weapon that Satan has is deception and lying and manipulation. That, that's his first uh, uh, thing that he uses. We saw this in the garden where he appeared as the serpent and not the roaring lion. And he deceived Eve and Adam. And, you know, in all of these things, we, we can see this in Scripture. His first main weapon will be to lie and to deceive. That's why we have to stand with truth like a belt around your waist. Why? Because we need the truth of God's word in order to take everything that Satan may place in our minds, that Satan may throw in our direction, that we say, wait a minute, is that true or is that not true? And as Colossians says, is that we take everything captive and, and hold it obedient to the knowledge of Christ in order that we can discern what, it, what is it. Is it true? Is it not true? That's why we need the word of God. And so this is what he's saying. You have to have truth like a belt around your waist. Because Satan is going to lie. He is going to manipulate. He is going to do everything that he can to deceive and to destroy. That's his first tactic. Secondly, look what he says. Righteousness like armor on your chest. Or, or uh, some of your translations may say a breastplate of righteousness on your chest. Now, why, why, would we, why would Paul say this? Because Satan's second main tactic is accusation. See, if he can't deceive you, and he can't lie to you, and you say, well, you know, that, that's not true. This is what the Word of God says. I've got truth in my life. I've got it like a belt around my waist because I can't move as a soldier of, of Christ if I don't have the belt on because, you know, I can't pick up my garment and all of these things. But, but now, even though I know the truth, second, Satan's coming at us, Number two, with accusation, look at you. Look at what you've done. Look at your past. Look at where you've been. Look at what you've said. Look at what you've looked at. Look at, look at who you've told things to. Look at where you've been. Look at who you've been with. Accusation. That's his second main tactic that he uses. And right there, for many of us, is he can destroy us right there. And make us feel like God would never use us. God would never take our situation or our story or our life. And so what do we do? We kind of move away from God, thinking that God's going to be mad at us. God hates us. God would never use us. This is an attack of the enemy. When God says, absolutely, I understand your past. I died for it. Absolutely, I understand everything in your life, and I gave my life for it. Absolutely, I understand everything, every evil thing that you would ever do, and I've still adopted you into my family. So this is why he says, righteousness like armor on your chest. Why? Because we need to be reminded every single day that we are righteous in Christ. Not in our strength. Not in... Not in what Zach McGill's done. Not in what, fill your name in the blank. Not in our works, but in Christ. In His righteousness. Here's the third tactic of the enemy. If he can't get us with accusation or deception, look what he says in verse 15. 
and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Here's another tactic that that Satan uses is might as well not even share the gospel. They're far too gone. When people are looking for peace, when people are looking for the gospel and people are wanting someone to share it with them, Paul says, be ready. Your feet should be ready to go with this readiness for the gospel of peace. There are people going to come into your life where you think and Satan's going to put in your mind, they're far too gone, don't even share. That is to pull you further away from Christ and, and, to, and, and to minimize what God can do thinking that it's all in your strength. Remember, be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. See, this is every day we should get up and we should begin to pray, God, I cannot make another step without you empowering me to live. Without you giving me the power of your Holy Spirit and filling me in order to walk closer to you so that I see things that you see, so that I hear things that you would hear, so that I act in a way that is pleasing to you, so that when you prompt me to share and you prompt me to speak and you prompt me to give the truth and you prompt me to, to be graceful to others, Lord, that I can do it. We miss that. So those three things are Satan's tactics. Distorting the truth, accusation and then also just reminding us sometimes that people are far too gone the gospel is useless in this situation now when we are looking at spiritual warfare and I wish I could take more time but I've got to move on understand your weapons those three things that I mentioned to you the belt the shoes and the breastplate never come off they should never come off why? Because in, in Christ, we have the truth of God's word because he, he has given us the Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. The breastplate of righteousness because it's not in our strength of anything that we've done that makes us righteousness, but in the completed work of Christ and what he's done. And then the, the feet, uh, the sandals prepared and ready to share the gospel because God has done something in our life and how can we keep silent about it? These things should never come off in our life. That's why Paul says this, in every situation, verse 16, take up. You're going to see this again. Take up, take up, take up, take up, take up in, in, in this passage. Now, here is what I want you to realize. Understand your weapons. Because when you've stood all that you can stand, now it's time for us to go on the offensive. Now it's time for us to take the fight to the enemy. Now it's time for us not to just sit back and stand and say, you're not going to get me with your lies. You're not going to get me with your, with your accusation. You're not going to get me with your deception. I'm going to stand firmly in, in what Christ has done for me. But once you've done all that you can do to stand, now, now we're going on the offensive. And this is kind of how the text breaks down. Verse 16, in every situation, take the shield of faith and with it, you will be able to extinguish the flames of the evil one. These shields that they would take would be like full body shields. And so as flaming arrows would literally come at them from armies, they would stick in these shields and it would extinguish these arrows. And as they move forward uh, and enemies would, would shoot these arrows at them, they would have to have these shields or they would get shot with arrows. And so Paul is saying this shield of faith 
You walk forward at the enemy and you trust in what God has said. And with it, all that accusation, everything that Satan is throwing against you will be extinguished. Why? Because we're trusting in God's word. Now, here's another thing that you need to understand. Is that faith in this, take the shield of faith. Faith makes everything else in the armor work. If you don't trust God, regardless of what's going on in your situation and in your circumstances, if you're not trusting God in his word and what he has said to be true, then Satan will have his way. That's why we have to have the shield of faith, and with it you'll be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. These are our weapons, guys. Now, look at this, verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. Now, why would we need a helmet? To cover our head, to cover our mind, to cover our thinking, to cover, uh, you know, if you got hit with a flaming arrow in the head, I think that's game over, right? I mean, mean, it's pretty much done, right? So they would take this really thick, thick steel or bronze or some type of metal, and they would put some type of cushioning in it, but it would be so so thick and so heavy, and then it would come out again on the cheeks like this, and that would be their helmet, and you wouldn't sleep with this. But So when you got up for battle, and you were ready to go, you would grab your helmet, and you would put it on and head out the door, or head out the camp, or wherever it was. And the idea of the helmet of salvation is that our mindset during these attacks would be focused toward heaven. That our mindset would not be on our situation or our circumstances, but our mindset would be focused on what is to come. Our mindset would be focused that we have been saved, we have been transformed, we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and we have a heavenly home awaiting us. And no matter what happens in this walk of life, if I die tomorrow, I will inherit eternal life. Right? So that's the idea of this helmet of salvation that, that we have to have. And then lastly, <clears throat> or third, third weapon, sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. Every deception, every lie, every manipulation, every accusation, everything that Satan can do can be defeated with the sword of the Spirit. I'm not talking about a sword that's huge and big and you look at them in museums and you're like, how could anybody fight with that? That's kind of impractical. This sword would be small. This sword would be like a dagger that you could do hand-to-hand combat with. That's the idea in this text. But so many people, sadly, listen to me and don't lose me. So many people, as the same way that they look in the museum at that humongous sword and go, that's impractical, they look at God's word and say, well, that's just impractical. That's so big and so, I mean, to get through all that and to read it and to see what, I mean, that's just kind of impractical. You're never going to stand against the tactics of the devil if you don't understand and you're not reading and soaking in and meditating on the word of God. You'll never do it. And then here's, your, here's one of your greatest weapons that we don't even think about. Verse 18. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the spirit and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. You see what he says there? Go back and read that with me. 
We're praying at all times in the Spirit, and we're staying alert, knowing that we're at war. And so many times when we, when we face spiritual attack, some of us, and I know I've done this in my life, just stop and pray. Stop and pray right where you are. God, is this what you want for my life? God, it, it, I, I don't, I, I, I'm unsure what's going on. I don't know if I'm under attack. I think I am. God, show me in your word. Lord, just, just give me wisdom and discernment and how I'm supposed, you know, and stay alert in this. With all perseverance and, inter- and intercession for all the saints. And look what Paul said in verse 19. And I, I just want to commend uh, this message here to us. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth. Listen to that. When I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. That would be a really great prayer to pray every morning. God, would you be with me when I open my mouth? Would you give me great boldness that I may make known the mystery of the gospel? For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may be bold enough in him to speak as I should. Paul is in prison writing this, and he is telling the church in Ephesus how to deal with spiritual attack. You don't think Paul's not being attacked as he's in prison? Look at your ministry. It's not going to do nothing. Look at this, and look at that, and look at this. You have to understand your weapons, guys. So you have to know who your enemy is, understand his tactics, understand your weapons. And so that is kind of the the overview of spiritual warfare, and I'd love to go deeper into this because you can. You could spend weeks on this. But here are some things that I want you to think about when you're under spiritual attack or God's discipline, ask yourself some of these questions. Here's the first one. Is this teaching me to be humble or causing me to be proud? Think about that. Is the situation I'm in and what I'm going through, is it teaching me to be humble or is it going to cause me to be proud? God desires humility. That pulls us closer to him. God opposes the proud what we read in scripture is it encouraging me to be christ-like or self-centered ask yourself that question is it encouraging me to be christ-like or self-centered if i'm being christ-like then chances are i'm facing god's discipline if i if i give into this what god is wanting me to do or what is happening in my life, if I give into this and I'm going to be more Christ-like, then it's God's discipline. If I'm going to be more self-centered, then it's spiritual warfare. Third question. Is it causing me to trust in the Lord or struggle with doubt? I love this. Because I get so many questions from people asking me, about their salvation, asking me about their walk with Jesus, asking me about so many things. And this is a great question to think about. Is this causing you to trust in the Lord or is it bringing more doubt? Because I promise you, if it's bringing more doubt into your mind, if it's, you're, you're struggling with doubt, that's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit says he will guide us into all truth. God will make known to us if we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. 
If we're struggling with doubt, if we're just like, I don't know if I can trust God's word, and I don't, yeah, but this is going on in my life, and that's happening, and this is happening with my family, and I just don't know if I can trust that. Listen, that's spiritual warfare. Is it setting me free from sin or making me feel guilty? Why? Because when God disciplines us, it sets us free from that sin, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, I was living in sin, and yeah, I I messed up, and I I chose to do this, and I started drifting from God, and God started disciplining me, and now I I realize that, you know, that I'm, I'm completely forgiven of this sin. I'm completely free of this sin. I'm completely, in God's eyes, I'm totally free, or does it make you feel guilty? Because Satan, accusation, remember, it's his main tactic. Guilty, 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 guilty. And Jesus is that loving father that we read about in Luke 15 of the prodigal son of saying, come home, come home. Last question. Here's, this is huge. Am I being drawn to pray or tempted to be self-reliant? Am I being drawn to pray or am I tempted to be self-reliant? In other words, I told you this before. So many of you, you've been under spiritual attack and you don't realize it. And Satan uses accusation and all of a sudden you go, well, I'm just not going to pray to God because he don't love me. He don't care about me. He, he uh, obviously knows everything that I've done and those things. And I'm so ashamed. And that is Satan winning the battles. When Jesus said, absolutely, I know everything that you've done. Absolutely, I know every place you've been. Every thought you've had, every word you've spoken. But I chose to go to the cross for you anyway. Think about that. That's God's discipline. It, God's discipline helps us to come back to God, fall on our knees and say, God, I've I messed up. God, you've, 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 you've allowed this to come in my life. You've allowed me to make these choices and these decisions. And now I'm in a mess. And God, I just need you. Versus Satan saying, he's never going to forgive you. Might as well not even go to that altar. Might as well not talk to God. Don't pray. God knows where you've been and God knows what you've done. He, he's never going to forgive you. I mean, he, he saved you once and look what you've done with everything. Look at your life now. Guys, that's the voice of accusation. That's the voice of spiritual warfare. And let me say this and then I'm done as the band comes forward. If Satan can rob you and steal and win the battle for your mind, he can destroy almost anything he wants. Why? Because it starts in the mind. And what we think is what we eventually do. What we think is how we feel. What we think triggers what happens in our members, the Bible says. So that's why, as Romans 12 tells us, that we need to be not conformed to the image of this world, but transformed, how? By the renewing of our mind through the word of God. And if we don't have this, and we're not spending time in God's word, then how in the world do we expect to stand against the tactics of the devil? I told you before, he's too cunning, he's too smart, He's too brilliant. He's too powerful that you will ever defeat him in your strength. But listen, 
If you're a follower of Jesus, the same power that, that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And all you have to do is exercise the power of the Spirit. God has given you everything you need in order to walk in the Spirit so that you don't carry out the desires of the flesh. As Galatians 5 tells us. Just walk in the Spirit. Every day, get up and spend time with God. And focus on what He has for you. So here's my question to you this morning. Will you stand to your feet? Spiritual warfare, God's discipline. Which one? If you're facing God's discipline, you might as well give up, surrender, say, God, I'm yours. It pulls you closer to him. He's waiting to hear that from you. Revival will never take place in this church until we're serious about our own sin. Until we're serious. Until we admit our great need for God. I can't do it. I'm not going to try to be self-righteous anymore. I'm not going to try to put on a good show and be a hypocrite. God, I am in desperate need of you. This altar's for you. If you're facing spiritual warfare and you've just been under the attack lately, I want you to come to this altar and I want you to pray that God would just strengthen you in His strength. And that you would begin putting on this armor that God talks about. Whatever it is, we're going to worship and we're going to thank God. But if God is dealing with you, would you come this morning?